This episode is brought to you by Facebook Gaming. Facebook Gaming is building the world's gaming community by helping game makers, developers, and publishers to build, grow, and monetize their games. They do this by providing research-based insights, in-depth case studies, as well as a wide variety of educational materials. A recent example of this is Games Marketing Insights for 2021, a report that has just been released and is available to download for free right now. Of course, Facebook Gaming also helps developers and publishers of all sizes to deploy powerful UA and monetization strategies through a range of innovative solutions designed for games marketers in every corner of the industry. Go to fb.gg forward slash DOF for in-depth educational materials, including playbooks, webinars, blogs, and reports, as well as great video content. We all know it. Mobile marketing is going through a paradigm shift. With the industry moving towards a more aggregate way of measuring marketing efforts, marketers' ability to measure and understand the impact of their marketing investments is further curtailed. AppsFlyer, though, is not sitting on the sidelines. The company has set a goal to help their customers and the entire mobile ecosystem to successfully navigate the new era of mobile marketing. And that's where AppsFlyer's latest product, the incrementality solution, comes to play. It's a product that truly empowers marketers to gain a better understanding of the real value that their marketing efforts hold. AppsFlyer's incrementality solution is built around remarketing. It simplifies the process of designing, executing, and analyzing incremental lift tests at scale, which previously was something that only the biggest players on the market were able to do. With with incrementality, marketers can focus on the end goal of their test without actually having to worry about the heavy lifting that comes with it. To learn more about incrementality and to read the success stories from publishers like Kabam, I suggest you head out to appsflyers.com. Really at Jam City, we want to treat the players first and foremost. We really care about their experiences. That comes down to ad quality and what type of ads they're seeing. We want to make sure that the performance is there. Waterfall management does take a lot of time. The big drawback is the back and forth with networks, obviously the uh, analysis behind it, and not always is the juice worth the squeeze, so to speak. That was Kyle. Kyle is the Senior Director of Ad Monetization from Jam City, and he uses IronSource's platform to automate his monetization and grow game revenue. That is time that is really maximized and could theoretically be a 50 to 100% to 2x increase in overall ad revenue. Theoretically, Level Play just automates a lot of that. That is a huge time sink for a lot of our teams. Want to grow like Jam City? Get the SDK on ironslc.com. That's ironslc.com. Hey, and welcome everybody to This Week in Game, episode 142. We got three interesting topics. We're going to talk about Netflix's new hire, Facebook gaming executive, Mike Verdu. Uh, We are going to talk about Suford's article, which is from The Verge, and I don't know what it's about. It's about Pelton Lane Break in App Game Launch. Anyway, and then we're going to talk about the article that came out on Deconstructor Fun. No IDFA, no problem. Apple can't kill gaming. We got myself, Michigan Katkoff, and two Eric's and no Adams. Eric's, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. 
Can't complain. I'm absolutely exhausted. Today I was I was in like the uh, the Finnish version or the, the Helsinki version of Disneyland or Disney World. And anybody who has kids and goes to one of those places to queue with kids for hours on everything. <laughs> it's so like, like you learn these type of things when you were a kid that were fun. And now that you're not kid and with kids, with responsibilities, they're actually not fun at all. And now I'm understanding yeah. my parents, how come they're so stressed about a lot of things. Dude, you gotta step you gotta step up and pay for the premium pass where you can we skip all the lines, dude. This is a socialist country. There's no VIP passes. Everybody like the equality is the thing. Like everybody has the same shitty lines, shitty queue. Another reason why America is better. <laughs> <laughs> this is not capitalistic do, place. Come do on. those do those but do those work, Chris? Because I'd imagine oh, it's yeah. just like but they're not they're not like uh they're not like the the, the like the game pass like in like free to play games where just like everybody just buys it so you're on the level playing field no anyway. no like, no they're they pretty expensive I'm, I'm 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 really half kidding because they are really expensive but they do work at like disneyland how, how much are they i don't know hundreds and hundreds of dollars each <laughs> it's they're ridiculous not, no but it's so worth expensive. it they're not that expensive i remember getting one to uh universal studios maybe eight years ago or something like that and Before that, I went to Universal Studios as a kid, and then we went with that premium pass. It was a totally different experience. Like I remember in Universal Studios, just standing in that LA heat and dying as a kid. And now we kind of blew through the whole experience in like four hours. Like he was just like, "Hey, do you want to get you know food after this?" Like it was really nice, and it wasn't hundreds of dollars. I think it was like, it was it was like decent, but it wasn't it wasn't that expensive. Well, it looks like there's a VIP tour that's like like a couple of grand. Oh, but it's wow. like all day but what's the i've always wanted to go to that restaurant that that famous restaurant in disneyland where it's like i'm talking about chris it's like uh it's like you have to have like a, a, a membership it's almost like a private club but there's like a years long line to get a membership and it's like where all the celebrities anyway i'm uh, going up my kids are too old now i don't really care about disneyland anymore <laughs> club 30 right, club 33 I'm, I'm going to new york city with my daughter that's kind of what we're doing now like just to, to show her the big town so and then we'll go to london next year or something as a as a i don't know as a trip disneyland's out disneyland's out that's how, that sounds more nice than the you know whatever disneyland yeah all right all right let's jump on some of the updates um, oh but by the way so at least this week there's some bucket news last week was horrific yeah. right this yeah. week there's lots of stuff going on so i'm, I'm excited to last uh, week, get into it scraping the bottom of the barrel like i was listening Absolutely. to i'm like what are you talking about dude like world of warcraft not that good i'm like what is going on <laughs> <laughs> so today today we got a lot of stuff all right let me let me tell you one thing so first of all i relapsed again on this goddamn team fight tactics so they came up with a new game mode called hyper roll which is not the 45 minute game mode that they have currently but it's like a short casual 20 minute battle and i i really like it like having a baby at the same time because i can feed the baby and play hyper roll it's really easy because like it's a low contextual like a lot of thinking versus like feeding a baby no thinking but you need kind of like once in a while your hand so i can play hyper roll while while doing a 20 minute feeding easily I still have to say battle pass system in TFT, probably the worst in the business. The the, <laughs> the the quests in that systems are atrocity. I would put it that way. Like it gives me 
Dude, this thing ain't making money, dude. Move on. Well, well, well I just want to say, like, it's a great core. And there's plenty of, like, low-hanging fruits and improvements. Like, the quest system for Battle Pass. Please remove that. The, please please make a normal version. Rewards for Battle Pass. Please just add something interesting. Not, like, super boring. Competitive system. I've been playing TFT since it came out on touchscreen devices. I have no clue what the competitive system is. Like, I have no idea what these numbers are or what these, like, what is the league? Like, I usually understand leagues pretty well, not in this game. There's no social systems at all. Like, there's none. Like, I can't make any friends. I don't know who's playing. I can't bundle up. There's no guilds. Not the bare minimum. So what I'm trying to say is it's a fantastic core game, but it's not enough. Like, Riot, please, like, hire one solid PM who has worked on on free-to-play before and... I truly believe that this person will double the run rate over the year simply by improving the features that this game already has. Not Nothing new, nothing fancy. You don't need power progression. You just need bare minimum free to play because I, I have to admit that I love Teamfight Tactics. I, I really do. It's, it's a great game. It's just like the progression just drives me crazy because there, there is none and I hope this monetizes. Anyway, on to real news. So Tencent has agreed to buy video game maker Sumo Group for $1.27 billion. And this is an offer that is 40% premium to the current stock price. So just about Sumo, 14 different studios, 1,200 employees, and Tencent has acquired them. And also Tencent opened up a third teamy studio in North America, focusing on AAA games. Again, Tencent is basically the, like the FTSE 1000 for, for games industry. And I don't know if you say FTSE or FTSE. How do you say FTSE. that? FTSE. FTSE. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I was correct. Good. Ten- Tencent is on an absolute M&A tear. They yeah. under- I think they understand gaming in this moment so much better than any of these other companies that are just like dithering and oh. kicking the tire. They're just, they're just buying stuff. Yeah, but yeah. the difference between this one and others, and I'm not too familiar with Sumo. I know that they're an outsource, outsource type developer. They don't develop their own IP. So the only reason you acquire something like Sumo is just to build capacity, right? And so like, I think you're right. I think they're basically seeing the end game is to have as much capacity as possible to build as much shit as possible. Because yeah, this acquisition is kind of unlike some of the others. I'm sure it's profitable. I'm sure it's a great company. I'm just saying it's not like they have a bunch of stable IP that they can leverage. They're just building the capacity to make shit. So yeah. it's really interesting that they would go this far down down the, the development spectrum of, of games. I mean, the, compared to compare, my point is comparing this to something like Riot or Supercell, it's like night and fucking day. Those are Tencent companies. No, acquiring companies yeah, like yeah. is completely different than acquiring something like Sumo. Yeah, um, I, I think it's just it's just a big bet on secular growth in gaming for the next ten years. Absolutely, right? just like let's right, let's yeah, buy right. let's let's buy gears and pipes and widgets and whatever because <laughs> yeah. we need to push stuff through a funnel to get output <laughs> because gaming is is going to continue <laughs> to grow over the next ten. Years. Like, but that's so like compare that to like, and I mean I'm sure you see this, Chris, but like. You just see so much tire kicking in like US-based companies around around M&A uh, in gaming right now. And it's like, no, Tencent doesn't, I mean, I'm sure they do diligence and stuff, but it's like, it's like Tiger, right? Like Tiger just, they do deals in like a day. I mean, they do, up, they, they yeah. front load their diligence and they'll get you a term sheet in like 40 minutes. It's like, that's, that's how aggressive you have to be right now because there's this secular growth in gaming that like, just wrap your arms around something and, and allow it to sort of like, take you away right like anyway it's just like that's part 
a frustration that maybe is, is, is specific to me, but like this tire kicking and this like, oh, humming and hawing and like, no, like that's Tencent is, is, is showing you like, let's just buy stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well now, and now we have Netflix in the mix, right? So we'll get to that later, but like, like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Where does this end? Like where, when does the music stop? And like, like, I don't know. Uh, look, we will see. You're right. Secular trends are good. Netflix getting into gaming is also good for everybody. And it's all good, great for us. So what are we complaining about? Right. Exactly. It's it's amazing. It's just like, and but but I really like about that because there, there are some companies that are talking about some companies that have acquired other companies in mobile or PC console, and they want to be portrayed as an index fund for games. But really the index fund for games is Tencent because like Eric said, they just acquire everything. And it doesn't matter whether you're making games for Snapchat, whether you're making instant games or whether you're making the biggest AAA games, you're getting acquired by, by Tencent or NJ. But also like, okay, but I mean, and I'm not as close to this as like some of these guys that cover Nico and all these guys that cover China. It's like, they're, they're facing all kinds of regulatory issues at home. And so they're trying to diversify and, and build out businesses outside of China. And, and so this fits that strategy to the T. And I've said a million times when I was back at Kabam, that was what all the Chinese guys were saying, is that we have to build expertise in the US and Western countries in order to like offset the, the riskiness and also the competitiveness of our own market. So yeah. anyway, they're clearly attention. executing. Uh, all right, moving to the next update. So uh, Free Fire has stopped 1 billion downloads on Google Play. So this is not taking iOS. And so Free Fire is a greener Free Fire, a premium battle royale title for mobile platforms has been downloaded over 1 billion times for Google Play alone. That's according to publisher Garena, which announced the news on LinkedIn and claimed Free Fire has become the first mobile battle royale game to achieve this milestone. Free Fire is developed by Vietnamese studios 111 Dots and published by Garena. It launched in beta from iOS in September 2017, grossed over $1 billion worldwide as of November 2019. So interesting part of this news is not the fact that, that, that Free Fire has been downloaded so much, but I didn't know that it was developed by a Vietnamese developer. So that was, this is the first time I'm reading it. And I know the game is huge in Southeast Asia as well as in, in Brazil. And it's kind of being like the, uh, the PUBG for weaker devices. And then through that, it has been able to capture a lot of uh, tier three countries. And what's been astonishing about Green, as we've talked multiple times on this podcast, is how they have been able to monetize in tier three countries. Because if you go to Free Fire and you look at how much money they're making in Brazil, it's bonkers. Like Brazil, it's, just, it's, it's crazy. Like nobody else monetized this way. So Garena is a very unique publisher and, and, and of course, amazing milestone for, for free. A couple of funding news. So Resolution Games closed 25 million round of funding to expand IP. Resolution Games is a Swedish AR VR developer. This was round C, which was um, funded by Qualcomm Ventures, Bitcraft, and also previous investors such as Initial Capital and Sisu Games Fund Ventures. And now they're seeking funding. So this is why I brought the news, not because I'm such a big fan of VR or AR, but they're seeking this funding because they want to get deeper into games as service or what <laughs> we like to call free to play. And I, I think it's, a, I think it's interesting approach. We actually touched, touched upon this, this element in, in the previous podcast, which is called making the business case for VR games. We had Chris Pruitt, who runs publishing at Oculus. So if you guys are interested in VR and how it's evolving, please listen to that. But overall, the reason for raising is quite interesting. So VR, AR. I mean, look, this is a pivot, right? VR and AR are not really taking off the way 
free-to-play games are i mean what netflix is going to do right like like all these different things and 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 even though i think the oculus quest has done quite well the sequel the quest 2 it's still a small opportunity relative to what else is out there so yeah no yeah i i, I wrote about this a couple of months ago facebook went on this big like charm offensive regarding their <laughs> vr efforts <laughs> and it it and it was like it, it just felt like that was a bear signal to me. It's like, okay, well, if you can't talk about credibly how your advertising business sort of continues to thrive and what you are talking about is VR, then you don't have anything to talk about, right? Like it felt, it felt like we're, we're just sort of distracting you because the main business, the main, the, main, the main attraction for buying Facebook stock is its ads business, right? And like the VR stuff, it just feels like if it ever hits like meaningful traction it's going to be 10 years out i mean i don't see that as like a near-term like consumer phenomenon and so it's like if you can't talk about your advertising business and you are talking about vr which i don't really find to be like a credible replacement for your ads revenue stream then it's like well that's that's a bad signal and and the same is true like in gaming it's like if you're in vr the the money isn't free to play Right. And if you're approaching VR, it's like you're probably too early. And in any way, even at scale, it's probably like like console sized. Right. I don't think it's the next gaming, the next big gaming platform, like especially at, at the scale of mobile, like free to play. And so like, well, if you're in that space, there's just a cap on how much money your company can ever be worth. And your revenues are going to be hard fought now anyway, because the VR segment's so small. Mm. So, I mean, you know, I mean, the, the, the yeah. biggest, I, I, I've ranted about this so many times, but the biggest irony is that the skill set required to make a compelling VR experience is almost the exact fucking opposite of making a free-to-play experience, right? Yeah. Like that pivot is no joke, dude. Like going from console to PC to mobile, mobile is challenging enough, but VR is a completely a whole other level of that. So yeah. good luck. Like I, 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 I mean, I've been, I, I've been, I've been really excited about VR, but super bearish on VR from the very beginning because I just don't think it's it's going to be a mass market thing anytime soon. Like mm -hmm. the technology has to come a long way before that to happen. Like you have to fucking la you have to have lasers in the freaking retina with glasses to make it much simpler to use or something. You can't do these big old machines on your head. No have you guys that. tried Quest 2? Yeah I haven't no, I, I I haven't. Okay. I, I haven't I don't know. Like people say that it's really cool. It is cool. But but I don't. Sorry, I, mean, I don't have it. My sister has it. I, okay. I have the I mean, Quest uh, Pro or whatever. I don't know. I don't doubt that it's cool, but like I've got to put something on my head, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that's just a fundamental roadblock, right? Like that's a fundamental hurdle. You're gonna like people don't want to put stuff on their heads, right? I, and that's what stopped smart glasses. It's just no one wants to do that. It's it's not comfortable. It's not convenient. It might be that, but what do you think about the fact that when you're doing your Quest Two or whatever you're using for your VR experience, you can't fundle your phone? Like, I feel like yeah. people are now watching their phone and they like watching Netflix or HBO, whatever, Disney plus, and they yeah. have to watch their phone at the same time. Like you're so goddamn hooked into that device. And now you put this thing on and you don't know who's tagging you on Instagram yeah. or, or whatever, Twitter or <laughs> whatever you're using. <laughs> well, that's an easy, that's an easy fix. You just get your, your updates in the, like, in like the top corner of the, <laughs> of the oh Oculus. My God. And the, the, the thing about the phone is buzzing in your pocket while you're trying to fucking slay monsters in your <laughs> quest too.
<laughs> anyway, uh, I don't know about that, but but it was an interesting funding news. So, okay, and then uh, a couple of more things. So new XCOM mobile entered soft launch on Android. And Eric, you covered this in, in the latest episodes. Like I really think the Android is a platform that everybody's launching, soft launching right now. Anyway, so this game was developed by Radium Starfish. And of course, the, uh, the publisher is t- 2K. Let me start with a positive. I think the production value are phenomenal. The narrative looks great. The characters, the animation, the UX. But this is not XCOM. Like, I'm an XCOM fan. This is not an XCOM game. And Kotaku, I mean, Kotaku kind of kindly tore them an, another one. But but I, I feel like this this is following the route of the, the Dungeon Keeper, the, the, the Command and Conquer, the Forza, the Tom Clancy's that all launched on on mobile and people were like, what the fuck is this? And it's, I think it's, it's really kind of sad because you see the developer doing really good work on execution and they, they put in years of development and that gets turned into a bunch of like one to two star reviews because people like myself who have been playing XCOM since, I don't remember, was it launched in Commodore or whatever it was launched on, putting one and two star reviews and hating the game because it's not XCOM and you're telling me this is XCOM but this is not this is like your basic turn-based RPG on mobile so I don't know it's 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 really sad (laughs) and and I hope I hope this wouldn't happen this much anymore but but it did so all the power to the excellent developer and the 2k executives who greenlit this I mean come on guys like like let's let's not do this like let's let's greenlight XCOM as an XCOM and and other games as other games like you don't have to put the IPN so that was kind of yeah. like my kind rant if I will. okay as a quick aside to this because I, I don't want to go down this rabbit hole yeah. this is the fundamental problem of with having super core IP is that you can't please anybody if you try to make yeah. it more mass market it mm-hmm. becomes it, it's too complicated for that market but if you try to dumb it down then you piss off your core constituents right so it's like this razor's edge of Dungeons and Dragons like uh, Warhammer and What's the other one that just came out? Oh yeah, the Dungeons and Dragons game that just came out was a, just a travesty, right? Because <laughs> you can't appeal, you can't appeal that that IP to a broad audience. And again, you piss off the ones that love your thing by making it stupid. And, and dumb I, down, understand, so. I understand this decision making because it's like the, the the Star Wars game that that EA published, the Galaxy of Heroes. It's a, is it Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes? Yeah, I think it's. Anyways, the, the uh, super successful Star Wars uh, RPG game, it, it makes sense. Like they, they, they had the Star Wars IP, they tried to do something different. And to my understanding, they just, you know, kind of went back and, and put in the, uh, the basic turn-based RPG into it and it worked really well. Because when, you, when you're playing a Star Wars game, it's not like you're expecting a certain genre, a certain gameplay. But when it comes to these core gaming IPs, like especially XCOM, that has a very unique gameplay that we all played that is all about the placement and it's all about how you make your turns it's extremely strategic very slow and then you kind of use that ip but do totally different thing you're, you're really killing the expectations because i'm not expecting something with a marvel i'm not expecting some kind of a game with an, with a star wars but i am expecting certain type of type of game with command and conquer i'm expecting certain type of game with civilization i'm expecting certain game with an XCOM because those are gaming ip so so yeah, I understand. It's a it's a very difficult thing, and power to them. I'm gonna. So, uh, but the other the other thing that they're working on XCOM for Marvel, right? Mm-hmm. And so this creates a bigger opportunity for them in theory, right? Yeah. If they can get off their turn based, like if they can make it more appealing to the mass market, but they probably won't, right? Because they've been making the same game for what decades, and so it's it's a real challenge to get their head 
moving in a direction of what's what's more appealing to a Marvel audience as opposed to what's appealing to an XCOM audience. And yeah. so again, this is the the the, part, the problem with the IP and and the gameplay itself is 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 by definition core. And they're trying to make it more mass, but it's it's just yeah. always a challenge. I do have to say that next games when they had the uh, the Walking Dead game, that was the closest towards XCOM that I've seen on mobile. Like it was it was a lot of about placement and luck. So I think it was kind of weird that they didn't copy something from that and go a little bit deeper. But they yeah, have but just, they, okay. they, they have too much creative integrity of copying someone else, right? Yeah. So that yeah, but uh, Miska, I'm I'm surprised you called that Kotaku review kind because that was just <laughs> like a. Just oh a, yeah, they, a, a shred, right? Like that yeah, was just they a, just like a shredded them, dude. Yeah, shredded I mean, them. Like they Did they are guys... just waiting for that game to launch so that they yeah. can dunk. <laughs> uh, that, but that was that was that was a half half. I mean, they basically just like copy pasted like game name and, and pasted X, XCOM. That was a rant against free to play more than anything. Yeah, yeah dude, XCOM. That's the problem with Kotaku and IGN. IGN's the worst, dude. Those they, those guys are so fucking out of touch with what's yeah. going on in this industry. It is like remarkable that people listen to them anymore, right? Because I understand that free-to-play sucks for people that are like into AAA games, but ultimately like you got to cover what people are playing or you're just going to yeah. become obsolete yourself, right? And right. that's the, that's what happened to Pocket Gamer back in, well, sorry, I did this rant ages ago, but that's what happened to Pocket Gamer back in the day. They refused to cover free-to-play, right? They would not cover free-to-play because they didn't like the monetization mechanics. It's like, dude, and then ultimately, I think they changed and they evolved over time. But I'm sure it was like executives that were there, whoever mm -hmm. was the, I can't even remember who was there at the time. But anyway, it's the same thing with IGN and Kotaku. Get off your high horse and embrace the market, right? Call of Duty, FIFA, Madden, like everybody's going this direction and you guys are sitting there bitching and moaning about it. And I, I can't even listen to IGN anymore, actually. Kotaku's okay, but IGN is just... Those guys are just so pompous and arrogant. Oh, I, I think Kotaku is worse. They're 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 they? the most like sort of philosophically opposed to free to play. And yeah. I man, it's just like this. And then like there was a good Twitter thread from somebody at I can't remember the, the company, but somebody was just kind of went point by point through the Kotaku article and just sort of like refuted or just just at least offered a counterpoint to each of the arguments. And it's like ultimately like anytime you engage on this topic with someone who just like just ideologically finds the free-to-play model offensive. It, it all comes down to like, well, it's manipulation and it's gambling and it's it's you're you're manipulating people and and you're you're causing like reactions in their brain where they can't help. It's like, give me a break. Like when when free-to-play first started hitting a stride, like 2013, 2014, if there had been any case of like a single mother who spent like who worked two jobs and who spent her kids' lunch money on gems for Candy Crush, the press would have rooted that woman out. And there would have been articles written about it, about how like, oh, this, this kids are dying because their parents are like sitting on the couch in a zombie state playing candy. Like they, they, that's never happened. Those aren't the people that spend a lot of money in free to play games. Mm -hmm. It's rich people with money to burn. And if they weren't spending it in Candy Crush or whatever, they'd be going on a ski vacation or they'd be blowing it in some other stupid way. Like it's <laughs> not, still are there's, doing there's, <laughs> and still are doing both probably. Like any, anytime, it's just like this, it's a fantasy that there's like these people that are like almost like drug addicts, like looking for their fix. Uh, wait, all right, see, I, I might agree to disagree on this one, right? I, 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 am not disagreeing with what Kotaku and, and IGN are saying necessarily. I'm just saying they got they're so out of touch that they got to embrace it, or they're just going to become irrelevant, right? But I do, do think these free to play systems are the, kind of represent the base of our nature in terms of like the 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 dopamine rushes from doing like these free to play mechanics and. 
I, I don't particularly like it. I look at social casino and I, I am just blown away at people spending money on that bullshit, right? Like I, I, I still can't believe it, right? And so like, I have a little bit of a, of a problem with it as well, but like I, I embrace the fact that people are willing to do that and that's what people are into. I don't know I, if it's yeah. good for society per se. So you know I, what I'm so saying? I, 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 maybe, but I, so I wrote an article about this like years and years ago when, when South Park did the, uh, the free to play episode. <laughs> and I just looked up like every single thing that the press like attacks as being like, like a dopamine release catalyst, right? So there was an article, cupcakes could be as addictive as cocaine because they release dopamine. <laughs> love, <laughs> studies have shown brain chemical dopamine is at higher levels in those in love. So what do we do, banning love? And Justin Bieber, when believers, as Bieber's 44 million fans are known, listen repeatedly to his music, a chemical responsible for feelings of pleasure is released in their brains. It triggers a rush of dopamine. Give me, that's, that's, that's what your brain does when you like something, oh, okay. it releases dopamine. Uh, all right, dude. But if you do social, specifically social casino games are designed for that, right? The same way that fucking slot machines are designed that way, right? Like they they make it so it's it's just it's all this dopamine rush every time. When you win, you win. When you lose, you win, right? That kind of shit, right? That's how it's designed. I talk to these guys, and it's like it, it, it's like remarkable, right? And what I would argue is that a lot of these free to play mechanics are built around that same type of idea. Right? So it's like. I don't know. You build a better mousetrap, right? And so, but this is not what we're talking about. Let's yeah. move on. I think this is a longer conversation, but but IGN, you guys got to get get with the program and understand what the hell the market's going. Same with right, you. Let's continue the uh, the free to play debate uh, a little bit later. <laughs> Last update that I have here is actually a Pocket Gamer update. So Pocket Gamer had this. I don't know what they're doing, but they're basically giving reward for like I've I've been seeing ton of studios and companies post that we're best employer, best this, best that. Okay. What really caught my eye was that the uh, Play Ventures is the investor of the year by Pocket Gamer. And honestly, I'll be just, you know, 100% honest. I can't say enough good things about Play Ventures. Of course, they are invested in, in my company, but I've known Hari and Henrik who are both founders of this, this fund for for years. I think I've known Henrik for like 12 years and Hari for like second. And they've done truly an excellent and amazing job in two and a half years from starting this fund to where they are right now. What I really like about play as well is that they're both ex gaming founders. So that, that's easier when, when you're interacting with, with such people who, if you're a game company CEO or start a game company. And what I like about play is that all the focus is on gaming, like whatever gaming platform or gaming service it is, but it's purely gaming focus and not like a generalist fund. And for other founders, or who are thinking about becoming a founder. If you're thinking about starting something new, get your team mapped out and talk to play. That's that's my only recommendation. Oh, for Christ's sake. Come talk on, man. This is not, dude, are they paying for this spot? What's going listen, on? No, I, I like listen, these guys I, as well. Hey, but by the way. This is, this is customer review. This is customer. I, I'm giving them five stars. <laughs> I, I like them too, but Jesus Christ. All right. So I, wait, uh, can I, can I, I, I say something about play because I've, I've worked with those guys extensively like on, on a couple of, well, on, on deals going back a couple of years. And what I like about play is that like a lot of VCs, they say like, yeah, we'll, we'll invest in games if there's a new platform, right? If there's a new business model, if there's, if there's this new like opportunity, that's like fundamentally new and like that's those come along so infrequently. And so you get these VCs that just never make game investments or they'll make investments on like stupid crap. That's never going to work. What I like about play is they invest in games. They invest in, in games founders, right? They invest in games ideas. Like they understand the business model enough to know like, yeah, free to play is not this it's not a new model anymore. It's not this new transformational model anymore, but you can still make billion dollar companies 
from producing free to play games and they get that like a lot of vcs don't get that so there's if, if there's a if there's this transformational new technology i'll invest in gaming but other, i'm not going to invest in another free to play game that's old yeah. and it's like well no and then you're going to miss out on a lot of really great investment opportunities and very few vcs understand that but but play does yeah or invest only in like platforms like oh i don't know about gaming is so hit driven so i'd rather invest just into platforms like there there are a lot of vcs like that as well and it's yeah it's it's different well, I- takes but I, as a, as a follow-up to my pocket cut gamer rant the other like months ago when we were talking about how zynga was giving them all this fucking money to showcase them and i said dollars to donuts they'd be the number one publisher and the best mobile publisher by pocket gamer they got snubbed they were nominated but garena got best mobile publisher so there oh, wow. so i was i was wrong i was wrong all the money that they gave to pocket gamer for advertising did not help. Okay, my only update, and then we'll finally get to the stories here, is the, Va- the Valve handheld PC device. <laughs> so this was announced by Valve that they're creating like a handheld device that looks similar to uh, Nintendo Switch, but it's super massive and super heavy, dude. It's like the Jaguar of old for those old school people that know what Jaguar is. So this is a fail for so many reasons. I don't even know where to begin, but, but everyone was so hyped about this thing. Like this was the next thing. And I, I, I and I listened to the coverage and I'm like, are we, I, I don't understand that people don't live, don't understand that we're living through the same thing over and over again. Don't you remember what happened to steam machines? If you don't remember what happened to Steam Machines, that's exactly why this is ultimately going to fail, right? Because Steam Machines were a stupid idea from the get-go, right? And it didn't, t- didn't take off at all. All right, this is w- the, the fundamental reasons why this is a fail. One, it's a Linux-based system. Dude, publishers do not optimize their games for Linux. Who use Linux? Fucking Google Stadia uses Linux, all right? So it's this opportunity is too small for publishers to optimize against a Linux-based system. And they have some emulation system that can do the PC, or you could reinstall the whole device with the, and pay for the Windows 10 and then put their shit in there. But this is like, this is the 101 why things fail like this is because it's too fucking complicated, okay? Now, the other thing is that like, because it's a Linux-based system, like you can't use the Epic Launcher, you can't use the Blizzard Launcher, Battle.net, Uplay, EA Play, GOG Games, all this stuff is not compatible, right? At all, right? Unless you basically rejigger it and put Windows 10 on there and make it a different device, right? And then the other thing is that the, the controls, like I understand that a lot of games play with these type of controls, dual stick, but there's a lot of things on PC that make, that, that use like keyboard and mouse, right? There's League of Legends, World of Warcraft, any type of real-time strategy game. Those are not going to be compatible with this device and not be optimal to play on these devices. And then the, finally, the configuration itself, although it seems like a pretty good piece of kit at the high end, the, the low-end device is absolutely fucking useless, right? It's a, It only has 64 gigabytes of storage. Call of Duty, I think it's over like 150 or something, right? By itself, right? So I I, I don't even know why 64 gigabyte would be in the, in the conversation at this point. I mean, unless it's like what I'll get to in a minute, most likely it's just going to be just for... for uh, indie shit right now you can add a micro isd usd no, sorry micro sd but the problem is, is that the ssd storage is a different technology and a different speed so the, it's gonna be remarkably slower on on a micro sd in theory right then there's gonna be text issues like you can't read text in such a small screen it's not optimized for that and publishers aren't going to spend the resources to optimize around that as well and and again steam machines were an absolute train wreck it did not work at all no one cared because it was too fucking complicated and I don't think a handheld device makes a difference. I don't, I don't think a lot of people are, that play PC games are looking to 
play on the go. So I think it's a very niche product. It's more of a, it's even more niche than Steam Machine in a lot of ways. And it's just make, could be a great way of playing indie games, I guess, but it's going to only really appeal to the hardcore Steam fans and definitely not mainstream device for, for mainstream user or trying to expand the demo as some people are assuming. So it all seems ridiculous to me, but I don't know. What do you think? Anybody have a, an opinion besides me? The general take has been extremely positive, at least, I mean, what I see on, on Deconstructor Fun Slack channel, like the, people have been, you know, surprised out of minds. about it. They're out of their minds. Yeah, I'm not, I don't know if they're out of their mind or what whatnot. The type of games that I play on Steam are not the ones that you would need a handheld device for. I, I'm a, you know, strategy game player. So for me, it wasn't, yeah. an, an, it's, it's not something that would entice me because, I mean, I have Wii U for, for a poor shooter experience on, on handheld device. So I don't need another, another one for that. <laughs> so, so, um, okay. All right. So let's, let's move on. Cause we're actually running too long. Yeah. Okay. So the big out. news of the week is that Netflix hires Mr. Mike Verdue to run their gaming division. So we don't know a lot of details. They haven't really announced a lot, but they just had an earnings call yesterday, which, which kind of add a little bit of color, but let me just think, let me just tell you what I think. Right. So, but what we do know is that Mike is running like the game development part, similar to what he was doing at Oculus. They've Netflix has been making their way into this market very slowly over the last few years. They have a mobile game based on Stranger Things. They have a console and PC game that they're supposedly in, in development for that. Some other stuff that's going on. They, 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 and the, and the, and the big thing here is like the big strategy here is that they don't feel like they're really competing against HBO and Disney. They're competing against things like Fortnite and other, other entertainment mediums that are taking up people's time. Right. And so this makes sense from a strategy perspective is to get into games. And so, so my first take on this is by hiring someone like Mike Verdue, it's clearly they're serious about games. I, I am a pretty big fan of Mike, and I think he is very well respected in the industry. Although I heard saw some hate, some article hate on, on that about him when this thing came out, but whatever. But Mike would not like go over to Netflix and leave Oculus unless there was a huge opportunity that he saw down the line, right? I, it's just, that's the way he, I think, operates in general. I don't want to like divulge any type of uh, information that I have discussed with him. But, and, and, and from my, from my investors, Talk to, that I've talked to, they're basically, they're very, the management's very thoughtful and methodical about what they do. So they have long-term plans and, and they execute against them. But the challenges are super clear here in my view anyway. And I want to be crystal clear here for the Netflix lovers like Mr. Chris Heatherly, right? Is that if they are trying to compete against Microsoft and Sony and Nintendo, they will fail and they will fail miserably, right? Streaming services for things like Call of Duty, Madden, Assassin's Creed, that shit won't work. And I've, we've gone over this a million times, but, and I don't even actually want to do it again. I, I'll, I'll cut this short. That, that's not the right strategy in my opinion, right? Because it's just, it doesn't make sense, right? But I do think they have a bigger opportunity here to expand the interactive to a much broader audience. It, by, by creating these interactive type experience like Boulder Dash or whatever the frick that game was and other experiences that kind of are optimized against their own platform. And so this is where I think they will succeed and why Google failed, right? Google tried to just replicate consoles and without any content or without anything differentiating them, which makes no sense, right? But Netflix has their own platform. And so, so Again, what Netflix, so number one, first, Netflix is very 
methodical in what they do and they take the long-term approach. So by creating the, uh, this group, they can build up content over time and build up experience and see what works, right? I also spoke to Mike a few months ago about Oculus and frankly, he seemed quite content at Oculus. So the fact that he left is a little bit surprising to me, even though I heard the rumors ahead of time, but like, but if I were to speculate the only way he would actually move something like Oculus to something like Netflix is the fact that he sees it as a big opportunity, right? And that they're they're going to dedicate a lot of resources and 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 money to this opportunity. So that's really good news for them. Again, they have 200 million type users, which is a huge group to experiment with, with different types of content to see what sticks, et cetera, which I think is awesome. And they have the deepest of deepest pockets, right? So they, they could basically make huge investments in different games and see what hap- what works. And again, what we said the last time is this is really good news for employees of the industry, right? People like us, in consultants, et cetera. And also a lot of the indies that don't want to make free-to-play games. They want to make more content that, that is, is more a broad appeal and more interactive and, and more story-based, et cetera, that doesn't really work as well on, on mobile or free-to-play. And again, they could be an acquirer in the space. But I honestly don't think they're going to be... This is the first question that everyone asks on the, on the investment side is, I don't think they're going to make a big acquisition like Zynga or EA. I don't think that makes sense. I think they make smaller acquisitions and build up teams to build out content that's specific to their platform. And so after listening to their investor call, this is kind of my first piece of notes. They basically did not do much, too much information, but they basically said they're trying to expand their IP into interactive um, and create new IP. And they're going to small, start small and build over time, which is kind of what I thought they would be doing, um, and provide explorations and deeper experiences around the IPs that they've created, things like Stranger Things, et cetera. There are no ads, no in-game purchases. This is part of the, It's part of a free addition to their Netflix service. So no more free to play <laughs> at all. I mean, of course, so far anyway, but overall, I'm super excited to see what they can accomplish, right? It seems very ambitious, but it's like, seems aggressive, but not crazy aggressive, like Google, like who's going to take over the world and have completely unrealistic expectations of what they could achieve. And it'll be interesting to see what, it, what how this evolves. And Mike, if you need any help with strategy, you can always reach out. This is very interesting take for Eric Crest because I remember when we went through this Netflix type of stuff, I, I'm going to probably misquote you, but you said something along, who the fuck would work for Netflix? And then everybody else on this podcast no. was like, oh. Okay, <laughs> I know, I know. All right, so I have to, I, I, I do have to clarify. I thought I clarified that the next week, but my, my, my point then is that when people said that Netflix was getting into gaming, they assumed that they were competing against Microsoft and Sony. And yeah. that's when I would say, this is ridiculous. The bodies are on the, on the floor right now. But this more methodical approach and creating content that is geared towards their audience as well as their platform, this is like, and creating their own content, this is gold. This is what I do support. Uh, that, that's what makes sense to me. Like trying to piss in Sony and Microsoft Pond makes no sense, right? Mm-hmm. And that's not, it doesn't seem what they are trying to do. And I think we'll see what the strategy is going forward and how it evolves. Like for instance, if they go out and acquire like Take-Two or Ubisoft in the next couple of months, then I'm wrong, right? They're going fucking for broke, dude. They're going after it, right? I don't think that's a good idea. I'll say that then. That's not a good idea, but I don't think that's what they're doing. All right. So kind of like I was, I was reading through the, uh, the, the, uh, the quarterly reports as well. And and what they were talking about is to some extent growth stalling for Netflix. They didn't have as many subscribers they were expecting. Uh, And of course there's streaming wars going on with the Disney's and the HBO's and the Showtime's and you name it, everybody has their own steam streaming platform down to even Warhammer. They talked actually in the quarterly 
quarterlies, they talk about that Netflix is entering merchandising like Disney. So what I feel like them entering gaming is also this sort of a big strategic push towards growth and that they're grown so big that they have to search for other growth avenues like gaming, like merchandising. Now, what I agree with what Eric was saying is share for consumers time. Of course, gaming takes a lot of the share and they probably they would draw the circles and they would notice that a lot of their consumers are playing games while watching Netflix, They're chilling, maybe candy crushing a little bit while watching Downton Abbey or whatever, whatever is your show. And I also agree that they have uh, infinite resources uh, to do whatever they want to do. Uh, I very much like what you said, that they're starting small and not going through the, uh, like the Disney routes or even the NBC route of build, building a big publishing organization, having these insane expectations. And when they're unable to deliver in a very short amount of time, they just kind of stop everything. So what I've been always asking is like, what's their model going to be like? Uh, they are doing some licensing right now. Are they going to do some work for hire? Are they going to move to publishing and build their publishing org? Are they going to go deeper into M&A? So those are all kind of questions. And you mentioned Mike Verdu. I've never actually met Mike, but I've heard only, this doesn't mean anything, but I've heard only like great things about him. And uh, people who worked closely with him or under him all were very positive. I think he worked at EA before because I know some people at EA and, and they really liked working with him. So anyways, I salute Netflix. I, I thought this was a positive news from the get-go. I know we laughed when, when, when Chris, you were kind of negative towards Netflix, but I think everybody else on this podcast was very positive towards it. And, and I believe now we're 100% positive towards Netflix moving into gaming. So all power to them. What do you think, Sufer? Uh, yeah, I'll talk a little bit about it in my my section. But yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've been positive since the get-go. I, I think it's smart. I mean, it, I think it's all encapsulated in an article that was published yesterday with the headline, As Domestic Growth Stalls, Netflix Plots Video Game Expansion. Yeah. Uh, and I'll talk about that in a little bit. All right. Okay. So I'm going to then go through quickly the, uh, the article that we had on Deconstructor Fun. So this was no idea, Faye, no problem. Apple can, can't kill gaming. So very clickbaity, but we like clicks. Anyway, so this was a response for, from, from Tiffany Keller, who is director of product on Subway Surfers, to this article that was published last week on GameSpeed. There, Dean Takahashi was interviewing Brian Bowman who's the founder of marketing service, consumer acquisition. And if, 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 if Mr. If Mr. Suford is not very positive always about the, the IDFA and kind of like talking about Ragnarok, Mr. Bowman was even, even more negative towards, towards the changes. So, so this was the, the, the article was titled Apple IDFA change has triggered 15 to 20% revenue drops in iOS advertisers. So it's a long article. You can go and read it on Deconstructor of Fun. It was also in our newsletter, but I kind of drew in some key points. So one thing that Tiffany talked about is that we already had these limitations to tracking, GDPR refusers, limited ad tracking, California Consumer Privacy Act, and COPPA as well for the, for the kids. So that basically means that the untrackable iOS players were before these ATT changes at around 20 to 30%, of course, depending on the audience mix that your game has. She also brought in the key points about VO campaigns, so value optimization cap campaigns. It doesn't mean that you can't build campaigns based on conversion. In her opinion, it does mean that you need to include more curation on both the creative and in the context in which the ad is shown. And that was a lot of her messaging because she's coming more from the ad monetization side. And then the, uh, the contextual advertising, especially in form of header bidding, is sort of the kosher way to serve the, uh, the LAT users relevant ads without violating the privacy. So meaning header bidding and header bidding means that when a game launches, there's a unified auction at the in, in, 
in Italy is can't pronounce this English word for somewhat reason. <laughs> there's a there's a unified action when you launch the game, and the ask apps for the ask app asks for each preferred network for the highest bid before declaring the winner, and then that winner is showing their ad. So that's basically header bidding. And she talks about Facebook finally moving towards header bidding, and that having a knock-on effect for hyper-casual games, as ad as advertisers can rely on that targeting to try to sort of find the quality players in hyper-casual games. And we are actually already seeing this change as the uh, the contextual signaling is is being reduced, and that leads has led to uh, to a very big law drop in terms in installs in the hyper casual players. And the last two points, she talks about in-app ads and talking that the uh, the most smaller games that rely on ad revenue have about 20% mix of iOS players only with 80% coming from Google Play. And unless those games are, you know, particularly targeted towards North American players like let's say word games, with Android CPMs going up, there's a lot of studios that are actually seeing increase in in-app revenue, in-app ad revenue due to these changes. And finally, she talks about the content fortresses and the, the, what Eric was writing before, the, the, uh, the approach of building genre affinity versus just scale. And it's an interesting point because companies like Zynga have been previously acquiring com other companies based on the EBITDA targeting. And now that the, uh, the cross promotion is becoming more and more important so that they can derive more value from their portfolio, the need for these ad tech services is increasing for those type of companies that have have broadened their portfolio through a lot of different genres and that might be one of the reasons why zynga has acquired chart boost and some other companies are are acquiring ad tech but it's not as needed for let's say publishers like king that focus on puzzle game and already have enough genre affinity and can basically survive with idfv so these were the key points and i'm very curious to hear what mr suford has to say about these i so couple things i so i don't want to kind of high level i think it missed a couple of things right so vo campaigns yeah you can build vo campaigns and and even based on conversions but that's not really the problem the problem is that facebook and other platforms don't get the the real-time stream of events right so they're getting one kind of like and it's not at the user level right that's the, the real problem here is yes you're getting some data back about a user did something and something is kind of like very fuzzy and it can only have happened within a short amount of time after install, but, but, but you don't know which user and, and the value, the value prop in, in the previous paradigm was user level data for user level targeting. And now you get campaign level data for campaign level targeting and just sort of definitionally that's going to be less precise and, and less valuable. Now, I mean, for a game like subway surfers that probably, yeah, I could see, I could see someone saying yeah, this doesn't matter because my understanding is that game has never done user acquisition i mean they've they've said that they've they've sort of celebrated that that we've never spent a dime on user acquisition and so if that's the case then who cares now they're they're going to see cpm compression in in their ads monetization but from a user acquisition standpoint they don't care about the audience growth isn't dependent on user acquisition. So if audience acquisition, uh, if audience acquisition becomes less efficient, well, then that really only affects their, their ability to monetize users because other people can't very efficiently acquire from them. Now, the other thing that there was a little bit of, I think, misapprehension in the article was, was this mention of like, well, CPMs are going up. And so that's good for monetization, but that's not really the case, right? What's happening is CPMs are going down. 
first of all. And, and the reason for that is because the cost per, per X, the cost per one day retainer, or the cost per seven day retainer, or the cost per purchaser, that's all skyrocketing. Right. And so because the conversions are, are that sort of conversion funnel has been degraded. Right. And so you're not able to, to, you're not as able, you're not as able to like sort of find the person who's going to make a purchase. And so people are bidding lower. And so CPM, CPM is just a measure of what people are willing to pay. Really what, 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 what advertisers are bidding against is some action taking place. CPM is just a measure of that. Right. And, and so when CPM is quoted to you, that's just an easy way to normalize the price of that was paid for your traffic. But what advertisers are, 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 are bidding on and they're valuing and they're, they're buying is, is some event that the user does in the game. And, and those have skyrocketed, right? Th those, those costs. And that's why CPMs are down is because people are bidding less, right? And so, and there's an auction that takes place. And when the bids are less and, and the traffic is therefore like less competitive, then the, the price is the price of the, the, the impressions goes down, but that's not what people are buying against. Now, the other, the other thing is like, can, I don't know what was meant by the idea that contextual advertising is a form of header bidding. Header bidding is just a, a bidding approach. It's just instead of bidding on a waterfall where you, you're sort of basing the price that you, you pay on historical performance, it's all happening in real time, right? And so that's more efficient, right? But contextual advertising is, is just a type of, of, of advertising where like you're, you're, you're bidding, you're, 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 you're targeting is based on the context that the ad will be, into which the ad will be placed. So like contextual advertising means, hey, I have a racing game. I wanna, I wanna buy ads in other racing games. That has nothing to do with header bidding and, and Facebook going into header bidding. Well, that was, that was the, that, so that's on F, FAN, their DSP. And that was planned. I imagine that was planned before this. That's just, a, it, it makes logical sense. So, so yeah, that's, that's useful for, for monet for publishers, because that, that makes everything more efficient, right? Because it's real time. It's, it's, it's the highest bid for every impression versus just using historical prices. But I don't know that that really has anything to do with, with IDFA. So yeah, I mean, I, the point about, yeah, a, a lot of casual games have very small proportion of users in iOS. Yeah, that's, that's totally true. And right now they are seeing a big bump in revenue because Android CPMs have gone way up chasing yield there. Now I think that's a short-term blip. I mean, I think that's not gonna work out long-term because Android prices were what they were because that was what was profitable for advertisers. I don't think that all of a sudden more yield appeared there right? Unless users shift to Android over the long term because they find iOS too restrictive, but I don't think that's going to happen, right? So I think the Android thing is a blip and yeah, that would, that would, that would produce a bump in revenue. Now I do, I think I like that the, the games beat article, that was just like hair on fire or hysteria and consumer acquisition is an agency. So I understand why they're hysterical. My point of view has always been like, yeah, you can adapt to this. We're going to do it. Everyone's doing it. It takes, takes time. It takes a lot of infrastructure investment and a lot of new strategy. But if you're an agency, no, this is probably bad. Very, very, very bad for you. But the companies that I work with, I mean, we're just, we're focused on the long term and we're building tech and infrastructure and strategy for that. So no, I don't think it's like, I mean, that article is kind of, I just laughed. But it was just like, that was just, just, I, I mean, like, uh, it's almost like a comic book character, yeah. like you know, screaming that, that about article was, the was so salty. It was, it was like incredibly salty. And this, this kind of post from Tiffany came along with because I was asked. There was some conversation on the Slack channel, and she had a more positive view on this. And I understand Subway Surfer. How many billion installs do they have on that game? And it's very ad monetization driven, and they probably see the rise of CPM on Android that is probably pushing their numbers even up at the moment. So she had a more positive take on it. And I think it was, it was to have a more, a more positive take after this, like super salty Apple is destroying everything on, on VentureBeat. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I just I want to say like I I pointed out a few things, but the article was good and it was very systematic and it went point by point, right? And I like mm. that. And she's right on a lot of things. And so no, it's not like apocalypse earthquake. And I've 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 done that too because I like clicks just as much as you do, Miska. But <laughs> I feel like I but it's I'd I'd rather see an article where like hey I'm gonna systematically go through the impact here rather than just like scream about how this is like the end of the world and yeah. that's what she did. And, and so it's, I mean, I would recommend everybody read the article. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's talk about Peloton. My favorite. Yeah, I mean, well, mine could even be just a corollary to the to Eric's piece because I think it just ties in pretty well. But like, I just thought it was interesting. So Peloton, the article is from The Verge. The title is Peloton plans to launch an in-game, sorry, an in-app video game where you pedal to control a rolling wheel. And so I'll just quote from the article. Today, the company announced its latest idea to get people to exercise, an in-app video game tentatively called Lane Break. The game, which will only be available for Peloton bike owners and subscribers, involves riders changing their cadence and resistance to meet various goals and control an on-screen rolling wheel. Players can choose a difficulty level, the type of music they want to hear, and the duration of the track before starting. The game isn't available yet, but a member-only beta will open later this year. And I think you know, this is kind of a somewhat of a trivial example. I don't think it matters that much. I don't think people, maybe people use it, maybe they don't. But it, I, I bring it up because it highlights a trend that we're seeing with consumer companies adding gaming components to their products to capitalize on the massive surge in gaming engagement that we're seeing kind of through COVID, but even we're seeing it persist post COVID. And it just reminds me of three to four years ago when every company was racing to bring crypto elements to their products, right? Everybody, everybody's adding a bit, blockchain. We're going to car rental on the blockchain and yeah now everyone's doing nfts and, and we're gonna do i don't know like h hr kind of efficiency SaaS on the blockchain like everyone was doing that and now everyone's adding gaming right and eric just talked about probably the prime example it's netflix and i think that's just the reason is well as i said there's another article as domestic growth stalls netflix plots video game expansion well if if we're seeing a little bit of a, a cooling effect on our core business let's throw gaming in there now i don't think netflix is throwing gaming in there i think no. like eric said they're, they're taking a very systematic long-term approach but it makes sense right gaming is is exploding and yeah. uh, everyone wants is everyone wants to get in there i, I just want to kind of point out one thing so john Lai from a16z he, he tweeted out an interesting an article that included some interesting stats um the other day and i'll just it's the from the company npd and it shows that uh year to date uh total video game sales are up 15 percent from the same first half period uh, in in 2020 and yeah, that was yeah, go ahead. <laughs> all right. It, that, that's artificially increased by the fact that we have all this hardware selling, right? So if you take out hardware, software is down pretty dramatically year over year through June. Well, well, well hard, so hardware in, in these numbers now, I mean, you could take issue with the, the numbers, but in these numbers, hardware only accounted for like a billion of 28 billion or the increase. So, so, so hardware was up 45%. But software was up 13% and, and accessories were up 14%. You don't, you don't trust the numbers? Fake, <laughs> fake news? It's, it's kind of fake news <laughs> in, in a way because software is, uh, I think they're, they're using a very loose interpretation of software because if you look at like, oh, but I'm gonna, yeah, software's down like 10% in terms of, hey, forget it, fine. Video games are doing fine. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not going to split hairs here. He's right. The software is doing, video games are doing quite well and mm -hmm. uh, year over year in, in post pandemic. So, well, but I just, I mean, pointing that out because H1 2020 was peak COVID. That was peak shutdown, peak. Mm -hmm. I mean, March is really when this all hit right now. I mean, I guess you could argue with that because it's really Q2, not the full, the full first half. No, but I mean, that part of it too. 
Yeah. That was, I mean, that was peak lockdown. I mean, in the U.S. it was, yeah. certainly. And, and this is showing at least in these numbers. Now these numbers could be fake news, but it's showing a 13% <laughs> jump in video game content, right? <laughs> so I guess the, the point is like, if you're at a, at a, if you're at a, a, a consumer company and you're seeing like a chilling effect, like the cool off from the, the kind of highs of COVID, I, it, it makes sense. Like, well, let's, let's just tap into video gaming and let's, let's bring some components of video gaming to our core service. And Peloton has been struggling. I mean, their stock is way down. And so that's maybe what they're yeah. thinking. I have to say, like, I, I like Peloton and, and, but this, this lane break, get the fuck out of here. Like I need Ali love. I'm going to listen to hip hop jams and I'm going to bound through my workout with her and not through some kind of a stupid game with on-screen rolling wheel. That's not why I need that 22 inch screen or however big it is. I, I find this, I don't want to rant about this, but I, I find it uh, a little bit interesting. Kind of the point of like, we're going to add games versus we're going to add gamification because there's so many elements yeah. when you think about the Peloton app that you don't need to change the, uh, the the really great instructions that they have there that are like personalities on their own, the, the awesome music, but there's so many elements that you can improve when it comes to the competitive elements there, when it comes to different quests that you could do, like you can even add a battle pass to, to the, uh, the Peloton system. And it would be amazing yeah. because you could change your avatar based on how much you engage month, month over month. And that is the type of services they need to focus on, like the gamification of their platform to drive retention and not explicitly adding flywheels to to already a core experience that is so great so i understand kind of what they're doing but i think this is like i don't might very well be wrong but i think they're messing with the core and i think the core of peloton thing is great i think the really the, the challenges is like how do you keep the subscribers because the service is very expensive and without yeah. smart progression mechanics it's hard to keep because you're also, you're not getting that fit on Peloton. Like, I'm sorry. I see a lot of people like Eric, I'm not looking at you, but I see a lot of people burning <laughs> thousands and thousands of calories and they're not getting that jacked. So, so. <laughs> all right. That's a whole other podcast about, we should actually do on, on exercise and see where we, we differ, but the, 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 the fundamental, because you're fucking shredded dude, and I'm not, so like, I, I get you. But no, the, the one thing that I don't understand, and I'm actually a fan of Peloton. I've never been, I've, never done that before and it's actually really cool to it's have really trainers there but what's really cool is this swift thing i don't know why gamifying it this 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 program called swift uses your existing bike and and, and probably expensive setups but yeah i don't know why they don't have something like that where they're actually you're competing against socially against others real time like yeah. i guess maybe that's more complicated to build but that seems far more compelling and sticky yeah than, than gamifying it but it, it, I, i'm sure the thing is that they have strategy guys there that are thinking the same shit right i don't know why there must be a reason why they haven't done it i mean hell acquire swift i mean they're worth a gajillion dollars right swift is but anyway even think about that kind of a subscription service where you're essentially like when you ride peloton you're earning different things and you already have different challenges during the day like you can do this you can do that there's live courses you can take some existing ones and everything gives you points like whether they're the calories burned the watts you you gained and if you could do like the daily quests and there's like three for the uh, this ultra hard cores and and you kind of accumulate those over the time and they unlock rewards and that yeah, 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 you know puts right. you into your avatar and there's the leaderboard that is going on like all these things are great because i know i've been i've been biking on on the pelton whenever i'm in the u.s and it's in the hotel and i look at that fucking leaderboard and i see some fucking johnny who did it like two hours before me and like fuck that guy because i need to be i need to be johnny or you know whatever <laughs> Mr. Sonny try hard, dude. You got to like, 
<laughs> you have to go after everybody. Like that's but I would like to tap on Johnny and see his face. Like, who the fuck is this guy where he lives? Or or Philadelphia? Yeah, you know what guy? You got it coming. Right. Like I'm five minutes in, but I'm gonna beat you. <laughs> yeah. I, I used to, I used to do that. I think like that's that's a big motivator, but also just 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 maintaining your streak. Yeah, right. It's a big exactly. motivator. But uh, but okay. But, 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 all right, forget for this for a moment. The overall thing here was I totally agree with Eric is that interactive is better than passive, and it always has been. And more and more people are getting exposed to it, and more and more people are trying to incorporate it within their products. Right. And I think that's all good news for everybody. It makes things more compelling. And so these are trends that we like to see in gaming. And it's something that's been driving gaming since, you know, the early 80s, right? So anyway, that, that, that's kind of my whole conclusion on this. And I think more to come, right? And on that note, give us a line, give us feedback, subscribe, share, do whatever you want, and tune in next week. We're out. Uh-huh.